The story is told of a little acorn. He stood in the shadow of the mighty oak tree. He longed to be like his father, so tall and strong. He had seen many storms blow through, and his father never moved. The acorn idolized his father very much. One day he asked his father, Dad, how can I be like you? I'm just a little acorn. The wise old oak looked down upon the small acorn and said, Son, I too was once like you. And let me tell you that if you want to be like your father, it's going to be a long, difficult journey. The little acorn enthusiastically perked up. Oh, but I really want to. I I know more than anything I want to be like you. How did you get to be such a strong, mighty oak? The oak tree looked down and smiled, as oak trees often do. And said, well, it was much in the same way that you began. I was a little acorn. And one day a a squirrel grabbed me up, put me in his mouth, ran off, and took me to a, a place I'd never been before. And I was scared. And he buried me deep in the ground. And there I waited. And it was cold. And it was dark. And it was lonely. And I... I wondered if I really wanted to be an oak tree. Little acorn said, well, that's not so bad. It's a little strange. Squirrels sound pretty crazy, but maybe I could do that. The oak tree said, well, the journey's not over. You see, you'll wait and you'll wait. And then after enough time has passed and you've absorbed enough moisture, something within you will begin to change and that change will be so strong that you'll begin to stretch and crack and open and, and break like you have never experienced before. And then your little shoot will poke up through that dirt. And the acorn said, so then, then I'll be an oak tree? Oh, no, said the mighty oak. No, no, then you'll just be a seedling and your journey has only just begun. You'll have... Many, many predators. The deer and the rabbit will want to chew on your leaves. There will be insects that will come and pestilence that will threaten you. And you must grow through all of that. But if you do, if you keep growing and do not give up, one day you'll be a mighty oak like your father. And when that day comes... The amount of acorns you'll throw off will surprise even you. And you'll look back on the day that you were once a little acorn and be reminded that if you really, really want to be an oak tree, you have to be willing to wait and to grow and to work through all the difficulties that come. Because that's how you get to be a mighty oak. I'm not so sure I want to be a mighty oak. It's difficult. The Apostle Paul said that the Lord gave the church all of these different roles. If you have your Bible still open 
to Ephesians chapter 4. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, for the little acorn to grow, he must give up the idea that he is an acorn at all. He must envision himself as what God intends to be, a mighty oak, much stronger and much more capable and far more capable of anything that he could imagine. The same is true for us. If we are going to grow stronger individually, we're going to grow stronger as a church, we have to let go of what we are so that we might become something far better. What does it mean to grow stronger as the body of Christ? Well, I think it means a couple of things. First of all, growing in Christ means Changing. It means being different. I loved how David prayed this morning. Thank you, David, wherever you are, for the prayer that you prayed that said, please let us be better tomorrow than we are today. That's a man who understands what it is to grow. As I was getting ready for church this morning, I looked at these pictures hanging on our walls of my my daughter, who was then, who is now four years old, was then only four days old, and she just barely fit in my hand. And I love that time of life, but she will never be what God intends her to be if she doesn't move past that time of life. If you're in your Bibles, you should be. Turn to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where Paul writes this. For through the law I died, I'm sorry, I'm going to start in verse 19. I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul didn't see himself as Paul. I think he struggled trying to let go of Saul. But the older and more mature that Paul became, the more he desired to be like Christ. The old me you will not recognize. The only thing you should see left is that I am of Christ. I'm not sure who said it originally, but someone once said that Jesus loves you just as you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay that way. And if you are thinking about Coming to Christ, you need to know 
that he is not satisfied with leaving you as you are. If you're going to come to Christ, you not only must change, but you must get stronger. We're told of a couple of points in Jesus's life. We, of course, know well the story of him as a babe, an infant, just uh, maybe two years old or less. And then the scriptures fast forward till he was uh, age 12. And we are told about when he goes to the temple and he's teaching. And then another fast forward of about a decade, uh, two, dec- two and a half decades, and he's doing ministry. Scripture doesn't tell us specifically how Jesus went through his teenage years. Scripture doesn't tell us what Jesus was like at that time. But we know that he must have had to learn things, that he had to get stronger physically, intellectually, socially, and spiritually. Luke chapter 2. And you're going to look at two separate verses, verses 40 and verse 52. Luke says this, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. And Jesus increased, this is verse 52, in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. See, Jesus had to grow in all the same ways that you and I have to grow. He had to grow physically, intellectually, socially, spiritually. Hebrews will later say that he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus had to learn, and if we are students of Jesus, then we have to learn. That's part of growing stronger. Let me put it to another way. Maturity in Christ is not about your physical age or your spiritual age. I don't care if you're, you've been a Christian for 50 years or if you're 100 years old. What determines spiritual maturity are neither of those two numbers, but rather your fruit. The actions that you take. If you still think in a worldly way, if you still act in a worldly way, if you still talk in a worldly way, and you are 75 years old, you are still worldly. You must get stronger. You've got to learn to think more Christ-like. You must learn to lay yourself on the altar. Not the I that lives, but Christ lives within me. Growing in Christ is about active, noticeable change that is the fruit in your life. So if it means changing, if it means getting stronger, let's get to the practical part of it. How do we do it? I'm going to give you three this morning, and perhaps you can think of more. But um, these three, I think, will help you tremendously, whether you are just a few weeks old in Christ whether you've been a Christian for many decades. Number one, you've got to learn to resist temptation. 
James chapter 4 verse 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. When you are, the only way to grow in your strength is to increase the resistance you have. You may not know it to look at me, but I'm at the gym six, seven, eight hours a day every day. And you may, if you ever see me benching three, four hundred pounds, you may say, man, Toby, how do you do that? Well, believe it or not, I didn't start there. I had to start at very small weights. And I had to increase the resistance so that my body, as buff as it is, would get stronger. The same is true with us in Christ. I know we talk, uh, address the idea of resisting temptation a lot to this crowd, this youth group-ish age. But, guys, temptation doesn't stop when you graduate from high school. If anything, it only gets deeper and stronger. And so if you will learn now to lift, you know, like when I go to Y and I see Josh Oakley, and he's usually benching 15, 20 pounds, and he's struggling. But I say, keep at it, Oakley. Keep at it. You'll get there. You'll get stronger. You'll get better. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. Paul there writes... To the church at Corinth, he says, <clears throat> if, you are, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can endure it. The beautiful thing about temptation is that, much like the first four letters of the word temptation, it very similar to another word whose first four letters are the same. Temptation is temporary. And as you learn to resist it, you'll get better at resisting it. Now, the converse is true. The more that you fall to it, the more that you submit to your temptations the easier it will be to give in. So resist. If you're here this morning and you've been really struggling with temptation, and you've been struggling with gossip or anger or pornography, you've been struggling with lying or you've been struggling with uh, a hateful heart, the first challenge is pick up that 20-pound barbell and start press. Press the easy one first, then keep pressing. Return, repeat, resist, and you'll get stronger and you'll find it easier to do as you go. Turn to 1 John chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 16. Paul here lays out, I'm sorry, John here lays out the basics of temptation in one simple verse. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has, uh, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now look at verse 17. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God 
lives forever. From Adam and Eve all the way up to Christ, the same basic three temptations have always been given us. And the same basic response is required. Resist and repeat and get stronger. So resist your temptations. You'll find it easier as you go along. Number two, rejoice in your trials. If you're turning in your Bibles, Romans chapter 12, verse 12, gives us a pretty simple plan for how to do this. There it reads, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. It's difficult to imagine why God would allow people who love him to endure trials. Now, temptations is one thing, but trials, why, why is it that people who love Christ will go to the doctor and the doctor will say, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you have stage four cancer? Why do people who love the Lord, uh, who are in a pregnancy, lose that little child? Why do people who love the Lord go through tremendous trials? It doesn't seem right. It doesn't quite seem fair. Well, there's lots of answers to that question. But I just want to encourage you with Romans 12.12 12, to be patient, to rejoice in the hope that you have, and to be constant in prayer. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4 James says this, consider it pure joy. He almost slaps us in the face. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you must, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. James continues in verse 12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. That God has promised to those who love him. God never promised that when you follow Jesus, your life will be free of difficulty. Unfortunately, many shallow Christians believe that. But it's just like the young acorn. He will never expect to grow into the mighty oak until he's weathered a few storms. Until he's faced a few trials. Until he's faced a few predators. He'll never be as strong as God wants him to be. Whatever trial you might be facing, I pray that you can learn to overcome it and use it as a motivation for who God wants you to be. Number three, relish your thorns. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 through 10, he, reads the, he writes this, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, he's talking here about his thorn in the flesh. And Scripture never tells us what that is or was. 
Uh, but it was something that Paul struggled with very much. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul would later say in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm not going to read that, but he calls the troubles which we face light and momentary. I think a key to overcoming and even embracing your thorns is understanding and having perspective. That this too shall pass and that your thorns will be replaced by a crown. But we've got to hold on. We've got to press through. Some have said that they think that God will never give you more than you can handle. And that's kind of a twisted interpretation of Scripture. Scripture never really actually says that. In fact, I believe that God will definitely give you more than you can handle. But he can handle it. I think that's the whole point. With Paul's thorns, with our thorns, with whatever trials we face... When we carry things which we are unable to carry, we are primed for the moment where we most fully need the strength of God and of Christ. We grow stronger when we remember that the past really did end last night. We grow stronger when we remember that failure is an event, not a person. We grow stronger when we can have peace in the present because we are focused on the future. I want to leave you with one more verse and then a challenge and then we'll be done. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Now, same author, Paul, writing here. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in us. If you are facing temptation, if you are facing trials, if you are facing all sorts of tribulation and trouble, take hope because it's not about you it's about the power that lies within you. My challenge to you is this. I want to encourage you to find three people in your life. We're talking about getting stronger. But I hope that you've seen that all of these things were not meant to be done by ourselves. But we're to help one another. And so maybe you do that by being involved in a small group. Maybe you do that by being involved with Celebrate Recovery. 
Maybe you're plugged in in a ministry in some other place. But I want to encourage you personally to bring three people into your life. You ready? Number one, you need a Paul. You need someone in, in your life who's farther along in the journey than you. Who has experience and wisdom and who is willing to mentor you like he did Timothy. You need someone that you can look to and get counsel from and pray with and ask for help. How did you do this? How did you, I don't know, raise kids? How did you be a better husband or a better wife? Find that Paul who you can look to as your mentor. And I want you to find him within the body of Christ. Number two. Find a Timothy. As I know in a lesson like this, it's easy to focus only on what I'm struggling with, only what trials I've faced. But you know, God's given you those trials and temptations and struggles for a reason. So that you might then minister to other people. This is what Celebrate Recovery is all about. It takes people who are very honest about where they've been and what they've struggled with, and then they seek to take and help people with those very same struggles. Find your Timothy. Find someone that you can mentor, that you can help, that you can lead, that you can guide. And third is, find a Barnabas. Find someone who will encourage you no matter what, who will give you hope when your days are full of despair. To find someone, and uh, for me, I'll just give a personal example. That's Mike Yolman. Mike stopped me this past Wednesday and was very complimentary of my sermon. And that's not why I like Mike Yolman. Mike Yolman is just one of those guys who always has an encouraging word to say. Who's always trying to lift you up and push along and help out. And, and you need, I don't know, maybe Mike, maybe other someone else... Someone to encourage you, to remind you that this power that comes from within is not from you, but it's from God. He's your treasure. And he, we need people like that to remind us of where our treasure lies. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning or how you might be struggling. But I hope that you, whether you are a little acorn, a sapling, or you're not sure you're going to make it through... Uh, to the next growing season, we want all of you to be mighty oaks. If we can help you in some sort of way, please come. Our elders await to pray with you, to pray for with you. If you're ready to put Christ on and be buried so that you can begin growing, please do as together we stand and sing.